Jesus said, I'm building my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And a lot of times we think wrongly about that scripture and think that it's like gates to keep hell out. But actually it's a picture of the offensive church going past the gates of hell to plunder hell. And that's what revival is. Revival is when the church rises up in its day, in its hour, and tears down the gates of hell and plunders those things that the enemies thought he had. And right now there's a tremendous revival even happening, flowing across this country, started at Asbury University. I'm sure you've heard about it. Started, I believe, February 8th, I think, the Wednesday. It's uh, coming up to two weeks now of nonstop meetings. Revival is a chance to catch up. It's an acquisition of those things that we thought we had lost. It's picking those things back up that we had put on the shelf. It's, it's a... It's a move of God that, that catches us up into the things of God in a moment of time. And I'm believing that uh, this revival is not only going to reach across universities that are Christian universities, but it's going to plunder the gates of hell in the public university at Arizona State University. Revival is coming. University of Arizona, revival is coming. Grand Canyon University, revival is coming. Revival is here. Every high school, even in the elementary school, children are going to rise up with the wisdom of God in this day. That will cause the teachers to be in wonder of how, how did they know that? God is good. Divine purpose and destiny is flowing over our lives like never before. While the enemy attempts to depress and oppress and suppress this generation, the God of the universe is pouring out his spirit like never before. Filling people with hope, peace, and joy. Your life is bursting with purpose. Your life is bursting with destiny. Your life is bursting with significance. You were made to be on fire for God. Come on. You were made to be on fire for God. We were not made to sit in the corner we were not made to sulk. We were not made to step back. We were made to rise up in the strength of God. Delayed destinies, dreams, and desires are being released, restored, and revealed in this day. Revival is a time of acceleration. It's a time of catching up. Things that were lost will be found. Things that were put on the shelf will be taken up again. So we're talking about fire in the heart this morning. Are you ready? I love this about God. The God of the universe, the God of all creation, is the God of the heart. Come on, he specializes in our heart. He sees each one of us uniquely, independently. He knows the intricacies of each of our hearts. He knows what makes us tick. And he loves to step into our life. And speak the exact thing we need to hear to light us on fire. He is the 
God of the heart. Psalm, I love Psalm 147. It says this, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars and calls them all by name. What a contrast of the greatness and the goodness of God. The greatness of God is that he has numbered every star, billions and billions. Not only does he know their exact number, but he's given each one of them a name. His understanding is vast, and yet he heals the wounds of the brokenhearted. He is so great that he has the universe in his hands, but he comes down to each one of our lives and holds our heart individually in his hands. He's good, and he's great. What a combination. This is our God. This is your God. This is Jesus, the word of God. He is in the beginning with God. He is God. And he became flesh and dwelt among us. What if the glory of God far exceeded our expectations? <laughs> what if the presence of God was greater than we've ever experienced? What if the things of God were actually better than we ever imagined or dared to think? Come on, we're stepping into that day. The veil is getting thinner and thinner between this world and that. Heaven is coming to earth like never before. And like Pastor Mike has been saying, the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, grace is always greater than sin. Hope is always in better supply than despair. Peace greater than fear. The kingdom of God is the greatest kingdom on the earth. And the, number, the devil's number one goal is to keep you and I out of the fire of God. Keeping us out of a heart on fire for God. Because the fire of God disintegrates the veil between heaven and earth. So today, this morning, just for a few moments here, if you'll bear with me, we're going to look at the life of Moses. I believe that Moses' life is a picture of us. We are Moses. He is us. It's like a type and a shadow in the Old Testament of how God wants to move, how he wants to work, how he wants to encounter us in Moses' life. So if you would be willing, let's look at his life for a minute this morning and see what God would say to us. Sound like a plan? All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9 in the Passion Translation says this, Even the ministry that was characterized by chiseled letters on stone tablets came with a dazzling measure of glory, though it produced death. The Israelites couldn't bear to gaze on the glowing face of Moses because of the radiant splendor shining from his countenance, a glory destined to fade away. Yet how much more radiant is this new and glorious ministry of the Spirit that shines from us. For if the former ministry of condemnation was ushered in with a measure of glory, how much more does the ministry that imparts righteousness far excel in glory? So the first encounter that Moses had with God was at the burning bush. The burning bush. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. 
So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. The first encounter that Moses had with God was at the burning bush. It's a picture for us that burning bushes are a sovereign act of God. He came upon Moses when Moses was least expecting it and without any request from Moses. He came upon Moses because he wanted to show himself to Moses. The burning bushes of our life are a sovereign act of God. It's when God calls your name. Don't you love it that out of the bush, God said, Moses, Moses, that's enough for me. That God knows my name. Come on, that he knows your name. He knows you. He's called you. The burning bush is when he steps in because he decides to step into your life. My burning bushes have been incredible experiences in the presence of God that came upon me without me asking. They've been the moments when God has just cascaded over my life. He just kind of poured out. It felt like honey coming upon me and just dripping down my body, and it was like warm, and it was like the love of God just totally covered me every time I was turning to mush. I just began to weep, and I had no idea what was happening. But in hindsight, that happened like three times in a period of a year, maybe two years when I was a young man. In in hindsight, I realized it was like a burning bush for Moses. When, When God called him out of the bush, God came down. Heaven came down to earth. He said, take the shoes off your feet. The place where you're standing is holy. So when God shows up in our life in a burning bush, it's a holy moment. The burning bushes of our life are, it's holy fire. It's holy fire. What is revival like? Revival is when the burning bushes of our life come alive. And we understand that we've been called. We understand that God is with us. We understand that our life has significance. That your name has been called. That your name is known. And so God told the Moses in this moment, I want you to lead my people Israel out of Egypt. I want you to lead them out of Egypt. When God met Moses on that desert floor in a burning bush, Moses had no idea that that day was coming for him. He was waiting 40 years for it to come, and it came in a moment of time. It came because God desired to meet with him. And I want to tell you this morning, God is putting burning bushes in your life, and you've already experienced many burning bushes. Those are the times that the anointing for your life was dropped into you. When the call of God was dropped into your life, the anointing of God is so beautiful. Where would we be without his anointing? The fire in the bush is holy fire. It's unquenchable. It's untouchable. It's unexplainable. It's undeniable. The fire of God in the bush will change our life. Burning bushes are God's ideas. He plans them. He shapes them. He orchestrates them. He doesn't need our help or permission. They're unique to us, personalized for our life, for each one of us. They're always on time, right on schedule. Come on, your life in this moment is right on time, 
right on schedule. Revival is accelerating us into the place of God that he's designed and destined for us to live. Paul's burning bush was when he got knocked off his ass. Oh, gosh. I've always wanted to say that. Why is Pastor Mike the only one who gets to say that? Pastor Mary always cringing when as soon as he says that. I'm not even looking at Chrissy right now. I'm going to pay a dear price for that. But Paul's burning bush was when he got knocked off his donkey. That's way better. <laughs> Shoot. Burning bushes are different. They're, they're created for you. Don't, wait, go, don't go walk out in the desert and look for something on fire. Joseph had a dream. He didn't ask for the dream. God gave him the dream. It was a burning bush in his life. What did it include? It included his call, his anointing. He realized in that moment that his family, including his parents, were going to bow down to him. He even told them. It powered his life. It brought the favor of God upon his life to the extent that he was able to make it through betrayal, imprisonment, false accusation. He was able to, to weather the storm of life because of the burning bush, the dream that God had placed upon his life. Burning bushes are powerful. They're powerful. I love the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, he's riding his chariot. God speaks in a dream to Philip, one of the disciples, and says, I want you to catch up to that man. And so Philip runs up, says, hey, what are you doing? And the guy just happened to be reading scripture out of Isaiah. He said, I'm reading this, but I have no idea what it's saying. And Philip began to explain the scripture. By the time they got to this little pool of water, the man was ready to be baptized in water and give his life to Jesus because of the fact that Philip became a burning bush for his life. Did you know that you can become a burning bush for someone else's life? Oh, what a day to be alive. What a day to be on fire for God. This place is ripe for revival. Oh, it's so good. I love the story of I love the story of Charles Finney, the great revivalist from the Second Great Awakening in America in the 19th century. Remember Charles Finney, Finney if you've heard about him or read about him. He was a lawyer. He, he, this is his account of his burning bush encounter with God. He said, the Holy Spirit seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves of liquid love, for I could not express it in any other way. And then the next morning, history tells us that he came, he spoke to his next client at his law firm, law firm and said, I have a retainer from the Lord Jesus Christ to plead his cause and cannot plead yours. A burning bush in our life will set us on our course for God. Come on, if not now, when? If not in this moment, when is it going to be the right time to rise up in the strength of God? When is it going to be the right time to have the fire of God light up our heart? This is the day. This is the hour. This is the moment.
Your burning bush is when God drops his call on your life. The second encounter that Moses had with God was on the mountaintop. It's on the mountaintop. Exodus chapter 19. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Can you picture that? And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Moses went up. It's really significant to go up. Going up is better than staying down. Come on, CFTN. Going up on the mountain of God is a beautiful thing to do. It's a powerful thing to do. It's where transformation happens. I love it that it says the trumpet was getting louder and louder, louder and louder. Can you imagine standing at the base of that mountain if you're Moses and God is speaking to you from the top of the mountain? You've got all the people of Israel around you. And you're looking at this mountain. The whole mountain, the Bible said, was, was shaking, was quaking at the presence of God. It was filled with smoke. And there was a sound of a trumpet that was getting louder and louder and louder. You see, the music, music did not come from the heart of man, although it does now. Music began in the heart of God. Music is a divine creation. God loves music. When, he, when, he, when the, the Temple of Solomon was dedicated to God, the music that, that burst out of that temple was astounding. There was 120 trumpeters, 120 trumpeters. I've been in a room with six brass players playing a song, and the hair on our head was being blown back. Could you imagine 120 trumpeters blowing their trumpet, the most skillful musicians in all of Israel, the best singers, the sound that was coming out of that temple when God came down. And then the Bible says that God came down in a cloud at the temple, at the, at the dedication of the temple of Solomon and consumed. The priest could not even stand to minister because of the strength of God. When God comes down in the mountain, when God comes into this room, when God comes here and he calls us up, it's intimidating, but it's good. I remember the first time I was one of those Christians that, man, I was in total judgment of people that, that expressed their worship. I thought they were trying to show off their spirituality. I thought, man, who, who's like waving their hands and dancing around? What do these people think they're doing? I was like Simon the Pharisee, judging Christians until I met my beautiful wife, who was one of those. The first time we go to pray, it was like we're going out on a date, first date. And I said, I'm going to pray because I always wanted to just be a good boy. You know, it's not about how good you are. It's about the goodness of God. You're never going to be good enough. I was trying to earn the favor of God. I was trying not to sin, trying to read my Bible more, trying to pray more, trying to be a good little Christian boy. It's not what God is after. He wants us to rise up in the grace of God in this day. 
to take our place, to stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's his righteousness, not our righteousness. Self-righteousness is the hardest thing for the fire of God to burn out of a heart. But the fire of God will burn self-righteousness out of a heart. Sin disintegrates immediately. Sin's not the problem. It's the ego. It's the pride of life. It's the things that hold us back. It's the things that make us not want to go up. And so I said, I'm going to pray with this beautiful girl who I'm already in love with. And so I began to pray. We held hands. We're going to go to dinner. I'm just going to pray a little simple little Christian prayer. Father, be with us. Bless us. She starts going like this. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you. Oh, Jesus, I love you. I didn't even know what she was doing. I, my eyes popped open. First of all, when I, where I come from, you know, only one person prays at a time. <laughs> Why is she talking when I'm trying to pray? <laughs> Secondly, I didn't even know what she was doing. Like her eyes were flickering, you know. Like, <laughs> so I said, oh, in Jesus' name. And we got in the car and started our 36-year marriage in a little bit of a time. But because of her example, I realized, oh, my goodness, you know, like this might be for real. Like these people like that express themselves and worship God, there might be something to it. And so the crack in my heart happened of my judgment. And, and, and I remember I said, I'm going to go to one of these churches where I know some stuff's going on. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in there and raise my hand to God. <laughs> and so I went into this church, and they started singing this song, and it was just starting to, it was beautiful. I love music. I thought, man, I love this song. It's beautiful. It's a real simple little chorus. I said, this is the moment. Woo! So I got myself ready, and I suddenly thrust my left hand into the air. <laughs> and my hand felt heavy, felt strange. I knew the whole place was just like alarmed at this act of boldness. <laughs> and after a few seconds, I couldn't bear it anymore. I thought, I got to turn around and see what's going on around me because I know everybody's staring at me. And I looked under my armpit. Not a single person in that room was even knowing I was there. They're all like their hands are raised and tears are streaming down their cheeks. They've got their eyes on Jesus and I have my eyes on them. And I realized I'm the Pharisee. Like the man sitting at his table when Jesus comes in and the woman breaks the vial on his feet and begins to weep and worship him. And all that man, Simon, could do was judge her. How dare he let that woman of the street pour her tears on his face. And Jesus said, those who have been forgiven much, love much. And I realized in that moment, I'm never going to be a Pharisee again. I'm going to learn to worship God with all my heart. I'm going to go up the mountain where the greatness of God is displayed. Come on, it's time for the church to go up the mountain. Don't let anything keep you out of the presence of God. Moses went up. Going up is better than staying down. And it's interesting where the, the, the uh, burning bush was a sovereign act of God, but going up the mountain what came with an invitation from God. And it requires a choice. So now we're suddenly involved in this process, and our choices make a difference. Your choice makes a difference. Our choice for Jesus in front of other people makes a difference. 
Okay, got a little quiet in here. Going up the mountain is by invitation, requires a choice. God invites us, and we say yes. And your yes is everything to God. Listen to Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. It says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. This revival in the last days will be a revival of worship like there's never been before. There will be such an expression, such an explosion of worship. In fact, it's already happened all across the world. If you even look just briefly at the recent history of music, at the recent history of worship, it has flooded the earth, and worship is always evidence of revival. When Martin Luther rose up in the Restoration, he wrote 300 hymns himself. Up to that point, they'd been singing the Gregorian chants in the church. There wasn't even instruments allowed in the church. But, but Martin Luther, in the first true break, the restoration, the revival of the restoration, introduced music once again to the church. Every time since then that there's been revival, new worship has flooded the earth, new sound. Look at Bethel. Look at uh, Hillsong worship. Look at uh, the worship of the Jesus movement. Look at the worship of every, every single, look at the worship of worship nation, the sound in this house. It is an expression of revival. It's an expression that God is alive. It's an expression that the Holy Spirit is here and with us. We have to go up. Going up the mountain is better than staying down. Up is good, down is bad. Keep it simple. Going up is where we experience transformation. Going up is where our identity and our purposes and our destinies are revealed. And by the way, you don't have one purpose or one destiny. If you did, once you finished it, you might as well say bye-bye. But God has given you many things to do, many reasons to live, many reasons to thrive, many reasons for your heart to get lit on fire. So when we go up, he ignites the things that are from him, and he removes the things that are not. Jesus is the fourth man in the fire. <laughs> He's the fourth man in the fire. When they threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, the king was astounded because he saw a fourth man who looked like a son of God in there with them. The fire was so hot that the people that threw them in were slain by it. But they came out without a hair on their head singed, not even the smell of smoke on their clothing. Jesus is the fourth man in the fire. Don't you love it? We need to go up. Moses went up and his face began to glow. It changed him, transformed him. It changed how he thought about things, changed how he perceived things, changed how he saw the world, changed how he saw himself. Going up the mountain and being in the presence of God changes our perceptions of the things around us. It makes us see things like God sees. It makes us feel about sin like God feels about sin. Going up the mountain affects every part of our life. If we don't go up the mountain, we'll look for strange fire somewhere else. It's good to go up the mountain. That's where God is. But there's something about staying down 
staying away, staying closed off to God, that is also very dynamic. And we're not the people that stay down. We're the people that go up. Aaron stayed down. And in about one minute of time, created an idol for the people of Israel to worship. So while Moses is 40 days and 40 nights in the presence, the absolute manifest presence of God, could you imagine that? 40 days and 40 nights, he's in God's presence, his real presence. A man, but he's us. We can't take this lightly. When we go to the mountain with God, it's real. His presence is real. We're not just singing songs. It's not about music. But music greases the wheels. God loves music. We don't need the music, but the music helps. And God will speak through the music. The point is we go into the presence of God. We go up the mountain with him. Aaron stayed down. Probably the most pitiful thing anybody had said in the Bible was what Aaron said to Moses when Moses said, what the heck is this golden calf? And Aaron says in Exodus 32, 24, he says, I told the people, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire and this calf came out. And I just picture that conversation. I can just picture Aaron saying that and then saying, who said that? That was the stupidest thing that's ever come out of anybody's mouth, but he realized it's me. I said it. Moses coming down the mountain with the heart of God. This is amazing to see the heart of God in action. He had the tablets, the, the uh, Ten Commandments, the tablets of stone that God had written with his finger. He throws them down and smashes them. That's quite an act. The fire of God will bring a passion into our life. And the fire of God, passion's a good thing. It has to be directed properly. But passion is powerful. And Moses came down on fire for God. He came upon the people of Israel who were just doing the very worst possible thing. In f- less than 40 days, they're doing this. And, and the leader in that point was Aaron. And so he cast, Moses cast down the, the uh, Ten Commandments. They shatter on the ground. And then he takes that golden calf, Moses does, and throws it back in the fire makes dust out of the gold and throws the dust of the gold into water and he makes all of Israel drink the bitter water. Don't you love it that Jesus drinks the bitter water for us? He's the friend of sinners. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine and his last act on the earth was drinking the sour wine on the cross. The bitter wine. He takes the bitter water for us. Jesus became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus made it possible for us to go up the mountain. In Moses' day, it was just one man that God invited Moses up. He said, don't let anybody else come because they'll be dead. They can't, they can't come up into my presence. I don't know how Moses managed it, but God covered him. But for us, it's a picture for us. We, are mo- we can go up. We're given the privilege. How do we have that privilege? Because of what Jesus did on the cross. He gave his life. His blood was shed. His, his blood is what cause, causes us to rise up in righteousness. We become the righteousness of God through him. We don't become the righteousness of God because we do good. 
not one of us can do good. There, there isn't a man on earth or a woman on earth who's ever been able to do good. But all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Jesus gave his life, became our propitiation for sin. He became what was needed to cover our sin. And so we walk in the strength of Jesus' sacrifice. The blood of Jesus makes us white as snow. He drank the bitter water. Don't let anything keep you out of the presence of God. Don't let anything keep you out of the presence of God. Don't let shame or condemnation. Don't let fear or worry or anxiety. Don't let anything keep you out of his presence. Don't let time or the things you have to do or pressure or trouble. Don't let it keep you out of the presence of God. Don't let sin or addiction or lust. Don't let anything keep you out of the, out of the presence of God. Sin is incinerated by the fire of God. It's not the issue. Sin was taken care of by Jesus. We come to him. We repent. We give our life to him, but we come into the presence of God with boldness, with strength. He meets us there. He says, come, lay your, lay your things down at my feet. Come with confidence. You'll receive grace in your time of need. Hebrews tells us, don't let anything keep you out of the presence of God. The devil hates the sound of our praise. And that's why we should make sure he hears it loud and clear. Loud and clear. The third encounter Moses had with God is to me the most important. And really what I want to land on here this morning for us because I believe this is really critical for all of us. It was in the tent of meeting. The third encounter Moses had with God in the tent of meeting. Exodus chapter 33. It says, whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, the son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Notice that Moses went into the tent first, and then the pillar of cloud came. The burning bush is a sovereign act of God. He comes. He has a design, a call on your life. Going up the mountain comes with an invitation and requires a choice on our part to say yes. But the tent of meeting, the secret place, is instigated by you. Instigated by me. That's where we become the friend of God. That's where we become his friend. In the secret place. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 6, you, when you pray... After you've gone into your room, shut the door. And when you pray to your father who is in the secret place, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus talking about prayer. He said, what you, when you pray, after you go in your room, shut the door. And when you pray to your father in the secret place, he's there. What he sees in secret, he will reward openly. 
We become the friend of God in the secret place. We become the friend of God in the tent of meeting. The devil's number one goal is to stop the fire of God from lighting up your heart. But it's in the tent of meeting in the secret place that a fire is built in our heart. This is where the word of God comes alive for us, in the this, in this secret place, when we spend time with him. The revelation that you get out of God's word on your own is going to be a thousand times stronger than any revelation somebody preaches to you from a platform. When you dig out for yourself the gold of God out of his word in your secret place, when no one's looking, when no one's looking, that will become the fire of God in your heart that burns like a fire like Jeremiah. That you have no, I can't hold it in. It's got to come out. The only way to get it is in your secret place. The only way to get it is when you spend time alone with God eating his word. Spending time with him, working through, grappling with him. It's not an easy place. For me, it's a very difficult place. It's hard to sometimes feel his presence there. But I know because of what God's word says that God is going to meet me in the secret place every time. He's the God of the secret place. He's waiting for me to come in. When I come in, he says, what I see you do in the secret, I will reward you in the public for it. That's quite a thought, isn't it? We all want to be rewarded in front of people. But how do you find that? You find that in your secret place when you dig into God on your own. So I, I just know in my heart, this is the crux of the matter for us. This is where revival really flows. This is where in this day, we're not going to have the strength without this. This is a crazy day to be, be alive in. This is a generation that's facing the onslaught, the ugliness of the kingdom of darkness. But with that, God is providing everything we need. And so I want to encourage you this morning, encourage myself. This is the time to press into God like never before. This is the time to build a secret place with him. Only you can do it. Nobody can build it for you. It's yours. It's your place. He loves you. He wants to hear from you. I mean, it's hard for me to pray in English. I have to pray in the Holy Spirit. If I spend time praying in the Holy Spirit, then my English will flow and I'll have some strength. Then I'll pray with some authority. Then I'll begin to proclaim over my family, proclaim over my life the things of God. But i got to pray in the Holy Spirit. i got to pray for a half an hour, an hour sometimes in the Holy Spirit. When I do that, just like the Bible, just like Paul said would happen, I feel, I feel built up. I'm being built up. And, of course, I can come in here on a Sunday morning and be built up, but there's nothing like being built up in my secret place. That's when God is coming alive. I'm becoming his friend. I'm becoming his friend. And so this, this is not to bring any kind of condemnation. This is just like I'm just hoping to be able to encourage. And some of your secret places are fantastic and powerful. This is why God moves through your life when you're in the grocery store and you see someone and you have a word burning in your heart because you've spent time with God. But I want to encourage you, if this has been difficult for you, that's okay. This is difficult. And it's not like anybody else's. Don't be deceived. It's not like you'll see a sports center highlight. It looks like the guy, whenever he does good, they're going to show all his great shots he made. But when the guy has something bad and it's happened, they'll pull out their reels of all the, the wicked stuff he's done. All the bad, the missed shots, the clinkers, the, the bad ones. But, but we look at other people's life in God and we have this highlight reel thing and, and mentality. Oh, they're just being so powerful. But we don't see the struggle. 
We don't see the struggle every man of God, every woman of God, every person that loves Jesus has with their time in God. They have to press in. There's something about it when the Holy Spirit says, just withdraw a little bit so that it pulls us. So he's really smart. God knows how to work us. He knows how to cause us to rise up. He knows how to draw us into his presence. I love the road uh, in the last chapter of the, of the Gospel of Luke when the two guys are talking about Jesus dying. And Jesus starts walking with them. They don't even recognize him. But when they get to the town to, to meet with him after he's explained the scriptures and they're, it's burning in them, they're saying, stay with us. Stay with us. He says, no, 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 I'm, I'm heading out. It's almost like it's a picture of the Holy Spirit saying, no, I, I just want to see a little desire. I just want to see a little bit of passion. And, and so what can we provide? We can provide a desire. What does it look like? It looks like, well, I'm going to make this happen tomorrow morning. I'm going to get consistent with it. Always by grace. Never legalistic. Always by grace. If we miss a time with him, I just say to the Lord, oh, man, I'm sorry, Lord. I can't wait for tomorrow. And, of course, we fellowship all day with the Holy Spirit. We're talking about building a secret place. How, how are we going to make, how are we going to reach our, our, our destiny and our purposes unless we spend time becoming the friend of God? How will our, life, our families be delivered and set free and set on fire? How will, we, how will we see God move unless, as a company of people, we find out that, man, God is with each and every one of us? Amen. Amen. So, Father, thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Why don't you stand to your feet? Thank you so much for listening. Please, please hear me on that last part. I'm not putting, I used to hate, to be honest, I, I didn't like it when somebody talked about the secret place. I felt like they were putting something on me. I'm not trying to put anything on anybody. I'm just sharing, in my experience, what God has done. And, and isn't it so powerful? Joshua stayed in the tent. When Moses left, what did Joshua do? Oh, he only led the people of Israel into the promised land and slayed about 5,000 giants. You know, how did he have the strength to do that? Well, I think it had to do with him becoming the friend of God in the tent. It wasn't in the public. How did David manage to do what he did? He slayed a, a lion and a bear when nobody was looking. It was a secret place he had with God. He knew his God. God became his friend. When he was by himself, nobody saw it. The, the, tending the sheep for David was his secret place. I'm sure he had his Martin guitar and he was writing his songs, just worshiping God, finding out that God was with him. And then he had the strength publicly to slay the giant in front of all, the whole armies of Israel. Because Jesus said, your father who is in the secret place, what he sees in secret, he will reward openly. Father, thank you for your word this morning, Lord. Thank you for your grace over our life, God. We love you. Lord, thank you for the burning bushes that you've placed in our lives. Thank you that you've spoken to each one of us. You've called us. You've set us apart. Thank you that each time we come together is another chance to go up the mountain with you. And Lord, thank you so much for the grace, Lord, that you give us to become your friend, to dig into our life with you on a personal level, Lord. We just love you. We honor you today. Let revival come. Let revival flow in this place. Let revival flow in this city. We love you, Jesus.
Let's just worship for just a moment. Jesus say Jesus thank you thank you for giving your life thank you for dying on the cross for me I repent forgive me for my sin wash me clean make me new I will follow you all the days of my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that simple prayer, we love you. Congratulations. Praise God. We're going to ask our altar team to come up. We'll be a, we want to pray for every single person in the room that desires prayer. If you prayed that prayer, come on down. We'll pray for you some more. If you need a miracle in your body, we'll pray for you. God will touch your body. If you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, come on down. We'll pray for you for the Holy Spirit. God is good. We love you. Thanks for being a part of the service today. Come, revival, come. In Jesus' name, amen.